Hello and welcome to Loud and Clear, a podcast dedicated to amplifying the voices of women in music. I'm your host, Olivia Adams, and this is our final episode before we take a bit of a break for the holiday season. I have so enjoyed being back in your ears this fall, and I hope that you have enjoyed our music history series on composers who happen to be women. And I hope that over the next few weeks, as we take a break from the podcast, you'll be able to go back to those episodes or catch up on the episodes and perhaps use them with your students in the new year as accessible music history introductions to the lives of some important musical women. So on today's podcast episode, we are wrapping up the fall and I am about to slip into holiday mode. This season has been incredibly busy. The fall included my comprehensive examinations for my PhD, which was three weeks of written examinations and oral exams that took place in November. It included several conference presentations and masterclasses. I taught a course at the university and I also taught my private studio. I took and passed my certification level for special music education through the Lotus Center with Dr. Aaron parks, not to mention playing in over a dozen music gigs and concerts leading up to Christmas. As my friend and fellow musician Katrina so beautifully said, concertizing is an occupational hazard for musicians this time of year. So once I sing my final of four services on Christmas Eve at literally the stroke of midnight, I am slipping into holiday mode and signing off from work. And that means signing off from this podcast for a few weeks. So I wanted to do this week as a sort of wrap up with some reflections and questions. I often love to journal and reflect during some of the downtime that I have between Christmas and New Year's. When the carols have stopped running through my head, I'm no longer emailing and organizing, and I get to take a break from reading and writing academic articles, I like to stop and reflect. Maybe you do too. I realize that this comes with a lot of privilege. As a teacher, my break aligns with the school or academic calendar, and I'm incredibly grateful for that time off. But I recognize that not all jobs stop on the week between Christmas and New Year's. But I hope that even if you're not able to get some holiday time in the next couple of weeks, that you're still able to find some moments of rest. One of the people that helps me do this is the author Emily P. Freeman. She is the author of The Next Right Thing book, and host of the podcast by the same name. I have long been a fan of Emily's resources as they allow to, as she says, make space for your soul to breathe and determine your next right thing in love. I think it's the tagline in love that makes me stop and ponder. Oftentimes, when we set New Year's resolutions and intentions, we fill our list with things to do, with shoulds. I should go to the gym. I should wake up earlier. I should practice another hour a day. I should, etc. That is not what my list of reflection questions is going to be filled with. I won't be encouraging you to add a long list of things to do. Earlier this year, as my students were doing run-throughs of their pieces in preparation for music festival, I noticed something consistent when I would ask them what they thought of their run-through or how it felt. They would usually say one of two words, good or bad. It was a binary. When I would prod them further and ask what was good about it, some of them would answer more specifically with a part that they thought they did particularly well, and sometimes they would respond with a feeling such as, I felt really confident, or maybe it didn't go as well as I hoped, or even, I felt distracted. I would use these again as springboards, often with the phrase, tell me more. 
This phrase I learned from the famed radio host and best-selling author of the book, Tell Me More, Kelly Corrigan. As a teacher, I can all too easily jump into what I call fix-it mode. I tell my students to do the thing I want them to do to make their music sound better. But by using a tell me more prompt, I can help them identify what it is that went wrong and help them figure out how to fix it. Does this take longer than me telling them what to do? Absolutely. But does it lead to stronger mind, body, and music connections in the long run? Absolutely. Because of this, another thing that we adopted around the same time were three questions of assessment. My practice buddy, Amelia Gates, and I would ask these three similar questions of each other in our playing sessions together. They were usually some variation of the following. What went well? Be specific. What didn't go as planned? Why? How will those two things inform your practice? I started asking my students these three questions as they were preparing for festival, and then again for recitals and exams, and so on and so forth, that I truly feel that these three questions of self-assessment have become part of our studio culture. Once more, it helped my students get rid of the binary, or at least for the time being, think about what happened in their music and why. And it helped me as the teacher to get out of the fix-it mode and encourage them to think deeper about their music. So what I learned from Kelly Corrigan and my music buddy Amelia is as a teacher and as a musician, I'm learning to ask better questions rather than give answers. So another way that we incorporated reflection into the studio this year is I had my students fill out all about me pages and lots of my colleagues do this at the beginning of the year and it usually helps students to think about what it is they want to learn that year. So some questions that are on my all about me questionnaire and it's really cute and it's graphic. I can link to it in the show notes and you can download it and use with your students. But I have them list three things that they're good at. So three things that I'm good at. I plan to practice every day at, and then there's a clock and they need to put in their time. My favorite styles of music are, and I list about a dozen different styles of music and they get to circle which ones are their favorite. I would like to do more of blank at my music lessons. The piece I have always wanted to learn is fill in the blank. I find these things tricky in my music. So these questions, help them do a few things. They identify things that they're good at. They let them set an intentional time to practice. Does it always go as planned? Of course it doesn't, but it gets them thinking about it. It lets me know what they want to do more of or prioritize in their music lessons. And it also lets me know things that they find difficult that they want to learn. And I love that it lets me know what their favorite kind of music is and maybe something they want to learn. Now, oftentimes, for the most part, there were students that put pieces that were very, very, very tricky and well above their level, but it got them thinking about the styles of music that they like, what they enjoy, and it helped to set intentions for the semester to come. And so I use these as a launching pad for uh, when planning for my students' repertoire, as well as I will go back to these as I'm planning for semester two and as we start to pick their festival pieces. The second thing that I have intentionally sought to learn about this year is how to incorporate fun into my studio culture. One of my favorite books this year, which I listened to on an audiobook, was called The Power of Fun by Katherine Price. And it is one that I highly, highly recommend to anyone, especially if you are looking for more fun and less mindless scrolling on your phone this coming year. In her book, Price talks about the three elements that are essential to experiencing what she calls true fun, a fun that engages all of us. 
a fun that isn't passive. The three elements that are essential are playfulness, connection, and flow. Since listening to Price's book, I have been thinking about how I can incorporate playfulness, connection, and flow into what I do with my time off, but also how I can create an environment for fun and learning to happen within my music lessons. Now, there are seasons in which we are poised to get things done, and there are things we need to do, such as practice run-throughs for our performance in music festival. But I have found that as my student body gets younger and younger, as my older students graduate and I welcome new ones in, I've learned that I enjoy and they enjoy lessons more when elements of playfulness and connection are present. While I cannot make anyone have fun per se, I can provide elements and the environment for fun to take place. Here are a few ways that I'm learning to do that. An example of playfulness games. This year, I purchased some simple rhythmic and finger number games from Anne Crosby Godet at Musical Discoveries. These are learning in disguise, but my students love playing the board game Funny Farm, practicing their metronome skills by playing along to the metronome with cards from TikTok tap games, or reviewing their finger numbers and hand position with the game Flashy Fingers. These games were inexpensive to purchase, and I printed them off on cardstock, and away we went with games in lessons. I would say that by and large, these have been a huge hit in the studio although some of my students have seen through the mask of games and one of them even told me your games are just learning in disguise. Well, yes, they are. An example of connection, duets. This might seem like a no-brainer, but this is truly the first year that I have felt comfortable in a long time putting together duets within my studio because of the pandemic and the social distancing and all of the rules and sick kids. I didn't quite do any duets outside of siblings, but this year we've started to branch into more buddy lessons and duets. I owe so much to ensemble playing and the joy that is making music together that it makes me truly, truly happy to share that experience with my students. This year, I've started working with my students on playing duets. It started at first with siblings, and then this past fall, I have experimented with my back-to-back -back students enjoying duet and ensemble time together. They alternate by joining in the first or last 10 minutes of each other's lessons. Now, all of my students take at minimum 45-minute lessons, and lots of them take an hour, so we're able to get a lot done in that time, but I would imagine that if you did 30 minutes, this wouldn't be quite as effective and you might have to adapt that time range. But I have noticed a major boost in confidence and rhythm in my students who have started playing duets. A highlight of my week is two students that come on Wednesday evenings and they're learning a piece by Francis Belotus titled Winter Fun. It is the most preparatory duet, but they could get it in a week and it was a quick win and connection that I was going for. Five minutes into their first session together, one of them turned to the other and said, hey, this really is winter fun. And then they giggled. <laughs> they even decided that they would like to do a duet titled You and Me by Joanne Bender for Music Festival. They picked it themselves. Are duets more preparation? Do you have to manage a little more? Do you have to get your arranging hat on a little more often? All yes. But I hope that the connections that students are making in their music lessons help them feel like they are part of a wider community of musicians. An example of flow. Flow is a state of mind in which a person becomes fully immersed in an activity. Positive psychologists Mihaly Cizet Mihaly describes flow as a state of complete immersion in an activity. In essence, 
flow is characterized by the complete absorption in what one does and the resulting transformation in one sense of time. Flow is the melting together of action and consciousness, the state of finding a balance between a skill and how challenging that task is. It requires a high level of concentration, end quote. In a state of flow, we can experience something without judgment. Obviously, I cannot manufacture flow, but I can set up conditions that are favorable to the experience of flow. One of the ways that I can do this is through improvisation. Early on in 2023, I began to incorporate improvisation into my lessons with students. Having not done this before, they were hesitant. I will be honest, I was hesitant. I do not consider myself a jazz musician by any stretch of the imagination, nor do I consider myself an improviser, but I was determined to become stronger at it and develop my own skills. As a former high school music teacher used to say, creativity is a muscle, you have to work at it. Improvisation looks different from lesson to lesson. With my intermediate students, we like to use Forrest Kinney's pattern play and the idea of pattern, which is often a certain mode, and then vacation, another mode. They start really easy in five finger patterns and then they work up from there. With some of my younger students, we might use call and response with question and answer phrases. With my advanced students, I will often give them a chord progression and a set of prompts, such as deciding on key, mood, time signature, or style. These days, we've been using Christmas tunes as improvisational prompts, and I love the creativity that I'm hearing. Some of my students hesitate, but I find that if I play along with them and give them a set of notes to improvise on, and if I keep the beat and we repeat this pattern, they begin to break out of their shell a bit more and learn to take some musical risks. One of them even said to me last week, the more we do this, the more I feel that I can flow with the music. Bingo. Another one of my students told me early on, I don't think I can do that. I'm not creative. I'm not an improviser. After working at it, she said, I take back what I said. I think I am an improviser. Improvisation in the studio can allow students the space to explore creatively, take musical risks, and sometimes experience flow. Well, if you missed it last week, I made a really big announcement, and that is I'm hosting a Music by Women Marathon as a fundraiser for women's shelters here in Ottawa. The Music Marathon will be a come and go performance event, and I'm looking for you, performers and volunteers for the event. If you're interested in signing up, I encourage you to have a listen to last week's episode, episode 54 in Apple Podcasts and learn about what the event entails. If you would like to sign up to perform, the link is down below in the show notes. And if you'd like to volunteer, the form to contact me is also there in the show notes. I would love to hear from you. So for some reflection questions, I tried to keep them as broad and as general as possible, but it are some questions that I use with myself as reflections on my work and life as a musician, but feel free to adapt them to your career and stage in life. What is something you enjoyed in your work this year? What were aspects about it that you enjoyed? What feelings came up for you when you think about that enjoyable experience? Is this something that you can recreate or replicate this year? Number two, did you experience rest this year? What activities or aspects of your life feel restful to you? Number three, what is something you have wanted to do, learn, or experience that you feel like you don't have time for? Number four, what seasons or times of day do you experience more creativity? Is it the first thing when you get up? 
Maybe it's after an evening walk or the hour before you go to bed. Do you find yourself being more creative in a different season? Like when it's light and sunny on summer mornings? Or perhaps curled up and cozy by the fire in the winter? If you could create your ideal work schedule without any prior obligations or commitments, what would it look like? How much would you work? When would you work? What elements of your work would you include? Number six, what is a part of your work where you experience playfulness? Is it engaging in games with your students, making up lyrics to songs to help learn rhythm, or is it improvising? Number seven, where and when was the last time you felt true connection in your work? Was it with a colleague, a client, a student? What did you connect over? Was it music, a story, a creative idea, a concert? Did you learn something new? Were you celebrating a success? Number eight, do you ever feel a sense of flow in your work where time seems to pass quickly, but enjoyably? When was the last time you felt in the zone? You felt energized. What were you doing? Number nine, is there anything you feel you need to let go of in your work going into 2024? Perhaps it's an expectation you have of yourself, a should that isn't necessary, And number 10, is there something small you can add to your workday this year? Maybe it's a lunch break, a 10 minute walk midday, a routine of picking up a coffee on Friday before work, or maybe it's making music for an extra 15 minutes a day. Notice that with these questions, I wasn't trying to get you to fix anything or add anything other than something small that you can add to your workday this year. But otherwise, we were looking to reflect. You don't need more things to do. We already feel like our to-do list can be endless. And especially, this is a challenge when you work from home like I do, and your morning commute is about 10 steps to the office. You feel like work keeps you there. So as we begin to wind down for the year and welcome the winter solstice, take some time to reflect. I hope that these questions prove to be a helpful guide wherever you might be on your journey. I want to close out the 2023 podcast with the words of Emily P. Freeman. This was something that she wrote on her Instagram at the beginning of December, and I have been thinking about it for weeks. I think they're great words to wrap up this podcast and usher us into a season of rest where the music dies down a little, we create some space for creativity and connection. Emily writes, quote, some things we do on the regular because we have to make dinner, feed the pets, pay bills, work, take a shower. On bad days, they're annoying. And on good days, maybe even those things are a joy. But one way or another, they become a sort of liturgy, the ways that we observe and practice our lives. Other things we do special, just every now and then, the season finale party, a girl's night out for your birthday, a movie night with the family, or a special anniversary celebration. But other things we do because they feel like us, not because you have to, not because it's a special occasion. If you didn't think of it, work on it, or initiate it, that thing wouldn't get done at all. I hope 
more than anything, that you pay attention to the things that feel like you this month. I bet that finding some quiet spaces are going to help bring those things into the light. Dare to listen in the quiet for what makes you come alive. Rather than trying to fill the silence, let the silence fill you for a change. No matter what you're carrying, I hope that you aren't afraid to sift through your desire and your gifting and uncover the shape of your soul. End quote. So friends, do something that makes you feel like yourself this week. Identify the things that make you feel alive. Create some space for silence and reflection. And may you enjoy the joy and peace that this season has to offer. My name is Olivia Adams. This is Loud and Clear, and I will see you next year. Bye for now.